0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Association NBA Podcast. My name is Sam Ruthier. On the line, joining me today is Tommy Wood, as always. Tommy, how are we doing?
1: Doing good, man. Excited to uh, finally get these GM power rankings out of our system.
0: Yes, indeed. So, that is the topic of today's episode. Tommy and I have spent some painstaking hours assembling our own personal lists of power rankings of the GMs of all 30 NBA teams. Today we're finally going to talk it out, say where each other stands, exactly why, probably have some disagreements along the way, and definitely have a little bit of fun. It is the evening of March 5th, 2018, and we're going to dive right in. Before we give you some of those rankings, we actually went into this kind of blind with uh, uh, comparing how each other did it. So we're finally going to pull that curtain back and reveal exactly what it was that our methodologies consisted of to compile these lists Tommy, I'll let you dive in first and then I'll give you mine. So uh, what were you thinking about when you put together your GM power rankings?
1: well, it was it was really hard because i I didn't really go in with kind of a set methodology of how I would do this, but like the more I researched, the more I kind of realized what I was looking for and what I was weighing heavier um, than others. and for me, where it got really difficult was with guys who have been employed for a long time, or who have held multiple jobs throughout the league over, uh, you know, a long period of time. Because you stay around that long, you're going to have some hits and misses. Um, So I found I definitely, you know, call this recency bias, call it whatever, I definitely gave more weight to what a GM has done recently. Um, And I, I also found I was definitely... Putting a, putting more weight on on the draft and on um and, and on free agency um trades a lot of the I just encountered a lot of trades you know sorting through the B ball ref uh GM transaction history that really didn't move the needle at all um but if you blow a draft pick I really held that against you if you got a draft pick right um. You know, that counted for a lot. And if you made a, a signing that, you know, really tied up your cap in a bad way, again, I, I held that against guys um, pretty heavily. And then uh, trades, you know, obviously you have some that have an obvious winner or loser. Um, but a lot of them were kind of neutral. Another thing I realized, too, is that trades aren't always a zero-sum game in the NBA. There can be trades where both sides uh, come out on top. Um, and that's you know, I always kind of had that idea in the back of my ha- mind, but, uh, for me, I saw that pretty clearly the more, um, the more I researched. What about you?
0: Uh, I mean, all those things to certain degrees definitely impacted mine as well. And you shouted out basketball reference. I have to as well, because they are so thorough with every trade, every signing that a GM has made and would not have been able to make these lists with any insight whatsoever, if not for, uh, how much Basketball Reference has compiled, not just trades yeah. and, and draft picks, but like where a draft pick, uh, you know, came from, if it was from a third team, how the protections were. Like they're incredibly thorough, and, and I love that website. I did before, but even now, I have a newfound respect for them, seeing how deep they go on the executive stuff. Um, basketball Reference aside, for me, the methodology, um, I definitely had some recency bias as well with all the guys who are employed today. Um, and actually Rich Cho was near the bottom of my list and no longer is employed by the Charlotte Hornets. So maybe, yeah. maybe Michael Jordan hacked into my computer and saw my list and he was like, Oh shit, I got to fire Rich Cho. <laughs> but I don't think that's why he, that Rich Cho hit the road. But regardless, um, I, it was important to me how a team is looking today, uh, what the next couple years look like for them in terms of, are they in a good spot moving forward? Or are they, you know, it, up shit creek without a paddle um in terms of in terms of looking back um tenure mattered a bit to me um tenure kind of differentiated guys at the end of the day um but yeah you're absolutely right uh hits and misses happen if you've been in the league long enough so i tried not to knock guys too hard if there were a couple picks in there that burned out or a couple trades that didn't turn out so hot now like five or so years later um Again, just nuts and bolts stuff. Definitely with the draft. Um, for me, a big thing I looked at was how draft picks got developed over time. Guys they picked in 2012 earlier, how are they today? Or how did their career yeah. end up?
1: That's huge.
0: Um, and yeah, trades as well. Um, one other thing that I tried to keep an eye on was personnel along the way. Who was the coach? How, was there anything significant about that relationship? Um, who's the coach now? How does that relationship appear? Yeah. Um, That's pretty much it, though. At first, I thought that overall record was going to be a big deal for me, but that stuff's kind of a bit more nebulous. Um, Playoff record, ultimately, at the end of the day, if a guy won an an NBA championship, that that bumped him up my rankings. All the guys at the top have an NBA championship for me, almost. Um, But, yeah, that's uh, in a nutshell. A couple minutes of rambling on that. But uh, with all that behind us, let's uh, dive right in, and we're going to start at the bottom. So we're gonna yeah get, we're gonna get the bummers out of the way. We'll finish with the triumphants at the top. Uh, I'll let you just take it away. We're we're going with the bottom fives. Uh, what are you looking at there? Right down at twenty five to thirty.
1: Yeah. So for me, and this is interesting because my bottom five actually contains probably the two guys who were I came in with pretty with preconceived notions of disliking them. Uh, they ended up being the probably the two hardest guys for me to evaluate, but. Um, I ended up putting them right where I thought they would be at the start, um, and I, I'm pretty sure you're going to be able to guess who, who those two guys are. Um, so my bottom five is um, is Chris Wallace, Memphis, uh, Ryan McDonough, Phoenix, Brian Colangelo, Philly, uh, Vlade in Sacramento, and at number thirty I have Ernie Grunfeld uh, in Washington, and yeah colangelo and grunfeld uh those are the guys i spent the most time on um you know i kind of have this sorted into four tiers these this five is is my trash tier um then i have you know kind of a similarly small tier of of good and then the vast majority is is are just kind of the middle where where they really have done i think equal to hurt and help their teams then i have a few who i just i put in a too soon to tell category um but, yeah, for me, um, yeah, that, that's basically how I had it. Who who are your bottom five?
0: Um, there's a few similarities there. Um, I mentioned Rich Cho earlier. He was my second-to-last guy, and then he got fired a couple weeks ago. So <laughs> I had to bump him out and kind of bump everybody up a little bit. Um, for me, it goes Chris Wallace, Grizzlies. Ernie Grunfeld, uh, who you had as well. Del Demps, I actually had down there.
1: Interesting. Um, I
0: almost put him down there. In spite of the boogie trade. Um, And then Ryan McDonough, dead last, Vlade Divac. So uh, there's some similar names in there on both ends. Um, I want to start by asking you about... Chris Wallace, because the Grizzlies were successful for a series of years, but both of us have them right down near the bottom. Uh, what, what makes you rank him so so down there, so low?
1: Um, for me, it's a big part of it is the way he's kind of bungled the draft. Um, I think it, I couldn't get past the Hashim Thabit pick. Uh, I think even at the time, that was a bad pick when you had uh, James Harden, Steph Curry, Ricky Rubio, DeMar DeRozan, um, all still on the board. And that was, even at the time, you kind of knew that beat really had no offensive skill to speak of and that he, you know, blocked four and a half shots per game in college because he was seven foot two and those guys don't come around every day. Um, so I, I think that, and they, they took him when they already had Marc Gasol too, which I think was just... Um. Dumb. Um. The Gasol trade that does uh, look really good for him now. Yeah. Um. He got killed for that at the time, trading Powell for Powell's fat brother. Um. <laughs> and for a time, at least, Mark I think was the better player. Um. Even though now I would say Powell has probably surpassed him. Um. But again, with you know, at the risk of getting in, into recency bias, some of the things he has done lately. Um. You know, really, the inability to ever kind of find uh, some quality spacing for those good Grizzlies teams when they were making their playoff runs. Um, You know, they tried out Courtney Lee. They tried out Mike Miller. None of those guys really worked. Um, The Chandler Parsons max contract was a horrible idea at the time. This That's not looking back at that in hindsight. I mean, they knew his injury history when they trade, when they gave him that deal. Um, the, uh, You know, some of the signs they made in the last offseason, Ben McLemore has not worked out. Um, You know, and then their refusal to trade Tyreek Evans this season um, really sealed the deal for me as far as putting Chris Wallace in the bottom five for for so many reasons. Um, You know, first of all, just because they could have gotten assets for a guy who's not going to be on their team next year, who has no part of their plans going forward. But also the fact that, you know, they need to be tanking this season and Tyreek has been their best player all year and he is helping them win games. And granted he's been hurt recently. um, But uh, he's been costing them in that way. Um, And honestly, I think uh, his refusal to trademark Gasol or to even listen uh, to calls on Gasol has been, uh, that was a big negative for me too. Um, You know, that, that contract he signed to Gasol to was iffy at the time. Um, You know, a mid-30s big man with with an injury history. Um, And it it looked great for the first year or two. Um, But now uh, Gasol has really regressed this year um, on both sides of the ball, I think. And uh, I think it's going to be another year or so before his reputation catches up to where his level of play is at. And Chris Wallace absolutely should have traded him before that happened.
0: That's uh, pretty pretty damning, but also uh, some hard evidence that you're backing up. And a lot of that stuff was was there for me as well. I uh, Hashim Thabit was something I hadn't spent a lot of time on, but you're right. As a second overall pick in a pretty loaded draft, that was a, an awful pick. Uh, yeah. <laughs> considering the roster as well. And again, one thing I'll note, just going a little further back as well, is the Gasol trade did end up well for them. So definitely a feather in his cap, but... When I even looked back at, at Grit and Grind, and when that was a team that managed to have some pretty significant playoff achievements in what's been a really stacked Western Conference the last five years, felt to me as much as as, as you want to call Chris Wallace the architect of that. He kind of fell ass backward into it, where sure he <laughs> traded for Marcus All and drafted Mike Conley, but Zach Randolph kind of just worked out better than anybody would have imagined. Considering yeah, that was a very buy low move. What he done with the Clippers up till then? Uh, I mean, Tony Allen as well. You kind of just bring him in as an energy defense guy and he ends up being a key cog and part of their identity. But a lot of that era, um, which I mean, people will always know when you say grit and grind, you're talking about those Grizzlies from like 2012 to about last year, maybe a little before that. But um, a lot of it was kind of Dave Yeager putting the pieces together, things of that nature. Um, Like I said, something that I focused on a lot was the relationship between a GM and a coach. And Jaeger seems like kind of got the rug pulled out of him, also kind of was ready to go. But clearly there was a disconnect between Wallace and Jaeger and probably ownership as well. But um, not only that, then you come in and get a pretty impressive hire in David Fisdale, somebody clearly your players like as well as generally he's perceived highly in the league, um, seemed to... Inspire his group to achieve well, all of a sudden uh, the team starts out bad this year and you fire him as well. I thought you wanted to be bad. Now that we're seeing the team is awful and it seems the whole point is to get a good draft pick, why don't you keep him around when players clearly like him? He has a good reputation and I don't think anybody's going to doubt that he has the potential to be a good coach based on what we've seen. Um, that's just a poor personnel move. Nonetheless, uh, you know, the Tyreek thing, I don't need to put any more. Uh, argument to it because I'm right in lockstep with you. That guy should not be on the team anymore and they should have a first-round pick or two second-rounders or something to show for him because he's been the best player on the team. Um, yeah. And you mentioned, the obviously, the horrid Chandler Parsons contract, but even the Mike Conley contract. He got, the at the time, the richest contract in league history. Yeah. The guy's been injured a lot. Sure, he's great when he's playing, but he's still never even made an all-star team, if I'm not
1: mistaken. Um, he hasn't. Now, again, he, All-Star. the best player in league history who hasn't made an All-Star team. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm just going off the top of my head. but
0: No, I mean, All-Star teams are nebulous, and I still think he's a really good player. And potentially, if he were healthy enough, could be deserving of that max contract. But how long he's been on the court and what results they've gotten for all the money they've given to him, Gasol and now Chandler Parsons, it's just absurd. It's a shame for Memphis ownership to have to pay all that money out to those three guys and see such little results. And it rests squarely at the feet of Chris Wallace. So, yeah, I, I I wonder how much longer he can hold out because they haven't been good and they're not looking too good moving forward either.
1: No, I don't think so. I love what you said about the coaches. Because even going back to Lionel Hollins... Lionel Hollins, uh, you know, yes! Chris Wallace fired him after they made the conference finals and I think won mo- the most games in franchise history. And to me, I, at least... I think like no other team of that caliber has really cycled through coaches over this time span the way the Grizzlies have. Um, you know, Jaeger didn't last long and I think that like I I completely agree with you the Fizdale firing was just idiotic. Um I think I think he did a phenomenal job last year. Um and I think he's phenomenal as an assistant in Miami and I I just I never uh, I never agree with firing a coach midseason uh, because the interim guy very rarely becomes the guy you pick going forward for the long term and so that you're really just punting on the season at that point. Um, if you're going to fire a guy, do it in the off season when there are more candidates available, um, when you can hire assistants from other teams um I just that's another thing I kind of counted against GM's was fire, firing a guy midseason, especially if you fire him midseason and replace him with J.B. Bickerstaff, um, who has done absolutely nothing uh, over his multiple stints as an interim head coach to uh, inspire inspire confidence. Um, that's that's enough on on Chris Wallace, though. i let's uh, let's move through the rest of your bottom five. because we had a couple of guys in there. I'm I was surprised Brian Colangelo wasn't down there for you cuz after what you've said about him in the past.
0: Yeah, I've I've dumped on him. Um ultimately when I took stock of of his time, um you know, whatever kind of control he had in Phoenix, Toronto, sure the Bernani pick was awful. Uh I just felt like there were a lot of guys who were a lot worse even though I don't like him much at all. Um but he was in your bottom five, so I'll allow you to state the case, and, and and maybe you'll sway me when we get to the rest of the guys that I had down there. What 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 puts Brian Kalinjo that low for you?
1: Um, well, it, it, it's you know it's kind of like you said, you know, like I said, he was really hard for me to evaluate because he drafted Steve Nash. Yeah. He traded for Jason Kidd. Um, he drafted Stephen Jackson, um in in the second round. Um, mm. but then, but then he let uh then he you know, let Steve Nash or he let kid walk and he traded Steve Nash Yeah, only to be signed him. Um, he traded, uh, (laughs) three first round picks for, and to Denver for Antonio McDice. Um, (laughs) that didn't work out very well. Um, you know, he drafted Sean Marion. He drafted, um, Mari Um, he really was the architect of that seven seconds or less team. Yeah. Um, but then, his last real move, uh, or one of his last real move. I mean, he hired D'Antoni as well. But one of his last real moves in um, in Phoenix was trading Joe Johnson for Boris Diaz. Um Actually, well, actually Joe Johnson and the pick that became Rajon Rondo for Boris Diaw. Yeah. Uh And as much as I love Boris, I think that move. I think that trade cost the Suns multiple titles because I think that if you have prime Nash, Amare, Sean Marion, and Joe Johnson, again, all in their prime, I I think you win multiple titles because that team, they made their conference finals runs. And I think with Joe Johnson's ISO scoring ability, uh, he would have given them that option to just put the ball in his hands and get a bucket like no one else on that team could. That was really the one thing they missed throughout that entire seven seconds or less era. Um, so that, uh, you know, that counts against him for me. Um, obviously the Bargnani pick horrible. Um, he, uh, he traded for Rudy Gay, um, in Toronto. Um, that did not work out well. That was dumb. Um, he did hire Masai Jerry. I mean, not, not Masai Jerry. <laughs> he hired Wayne Casey. Yeah. Um, so he's got to get credit for that. Um, you know, and then, but then I look at, what he's done in, in Phoenix and this is this is really where or not non-Phoenix in, in, uh, in Philly and this is really where I start to hold it against him and it might it might be recency bias but he's basically kind of ran with the foundation that Sam Hinkie laid but I'm not sure if he's really done much to improve their situation um, Ben Simmons pick was a no-brainer first overall he doesn't get any credit for that in my book. Um, you know, I, I like the Timothy Lawu pick. I still think he has some potential. Um, and then some – I just look at some of the other stuff he's done. The Jared Bayless has not lived up to the money they've given him. Um, and then the uh, Noel trade, uh, you know, moving moving on from him was, I think, smart because he had no, no – Room there with, with uh, Embiid, but Justin Anderson has barely seen the court for them. Um, I don't even know how to evaluate the uh, Fultz-Tatum trade because Fultz hasn't seen the court. Yeah. Um, but that's – so I'm I'm trying not to hold that against him. But then some of the other uh, signings he made coming into this year, um, Amir Johnson got $11 million to be a nice guy. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, signing J.J. Redick was good. I don't get giving him one-year $23 million, um, especially when he wanted a, you know, kind of a longer-term term deal. And, you know, yeah, his money will be coming off the books next year, but I don't know what they'll be using that on. I am skeptical that LeBron would want to come there. Um, and then the Jalil Okafor situation. thats We've talked about that too Um, and the way they, you know, they just held on to him, buried him on the bench, declined his option and then traded him. Um, also the fact that they traded him and a second round pick and Nick Stauskas for Trevor Booker, whom they have since waived. Yeah. like that is a completely wasted opportunity. Um, you know, they could have gone out and got a better asset. Um, you know, a guy who could actually help them um you know instead of you know having then having to you know they still could have gotten Bellinelli and Ilyasova on the buyout market and and or maybe they wouldn't have had to get one of those guys if they had got somebody better um in in the Okafor trade and it's like I said Colangelo was probably the hardest guy for me to uh evaluate um because his highs have been really high I mean putting together that Phoenix team that was a, a once in a generation team. But then the way where I, I feel like he prevented them from reaching their ceiling um, and just some of the moves he's made in, in Philly that I think I don't, I, I don't think they they have been in the best interests of Philly's long-term future. So that's, that's why I have him uh, where he is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um... Definitely, and we've already put a lot of time towards it. Uh, in episodes recently, the Philly roster. There's a lot of question marks. The Okafor situation, all the way up to that trade, just was not good. And as you mentioned, Trevor Booker is no longer even a Sixer, so they got nothing for Okafor. case in a second round pick. Yeah. Uh, one thing for the the Sixer situation is. Um, and even, like, I haven't moved my rankings since this happened. I had my rankings set in stone before this. But with the buyouts, with getting Bellinelli and Ilyasova, um, to me that's just, like, a big sign of the Sixers taking the next step in, in the, the process, so to speak. Like, okay, we sucked, we sucked. Now not only do we have these assets and these young guys, but we're actively trying to find pieces to get the most out of these young guys now. Um, yeah, Those are moves for this season, for let's make a playoff run, let's get the 7 or the sixth seed, and just, just get these guys in the playoffs and put them against a the team and cause some trouble. That's the kind of stuff that uh, veteran executives do, successfully negotiate buyouts competing against other teams um, yeah. or, or subsequent contracts after the buyouts have been negotiated. Besides that... Um, it came down, I'm pretty nostalgic for the 7 Seconds or Less Suns teams because I love that book by McCallum. And so many of those guys that McCallum spent time with in the book are guys that, that Colangelo directly had a hand in bringing to the team, be it Boris Dio or even guys like Rajai Bell or, of course, Steve Nash. Um, you mentioned Marion as well. And Amari. Um, yeah. You know, and you're absolutely right. It's, it's an iconic team of the 2000s. And you're also right that Joe Johnson could help them a lot when they were in those crazy series with the Spurs and the Lakers. So, um, all that said, even just wrapping a bow on it with Toronto, I thought I was going to hate everything he did in Toronto, but at the same time, he drafted DeMar DeRozan, got the pick that became yes. Jonas Valanciunas. Um, he traded for
1: Kyle Lowry, too, so he's got to get credit for that.
0: So, he, oh. as much as Masai has been the one to really get that team where it needs to go, and you mentioned he hired Dwayne Casey as well, like, a lot of that stuff still has Colangelo's f- fingerprints on it in a in kind of a weird way, considering how we don't ever think about this Raptors team as a as a Colangelo built team. It's all Maasai, and we'll talk about Maasai later. But yeah, um,
1: just one one kind of little side note on that. This, one of the mo- most fun things about this to me has been seeing just kind of the ripple effects. Yeah. of how deals affect subsequent deals. So. Uh, Brian Colangelo traded, <laughs> this trade looks pretty, pretty great in hindsight, traded Gary Forbes and a first round pick to Houston for Kyle Lowry. <laughs> um, Houston traded that first round pick to OKC as part of the James Harden trade. Whoa. And then OKC used that pick to take Stephen Steven
0: Adams. Steven Adams. Oh my God. Who's now the third best player on the Thunder.
1: Yeah. Yeah like seeing like that seeing stuff like that has been really really cool for me um because you just you just see like that that was in 20 july of 2012 and we're still seeing the effects of that deal now
0: well yeah and it's like crazy too when you're looking at stuff like the mellow trade for example like there were picks from the mellow (laughs) trade in the draft up until like was it two years ago or last year like 2016 was the last time a pick from the Mellow draft got, like, conveyed. And that's just nuts, or the Mellow trade. Because that was so long ago, and now, I mean, he's on another team since then, too. But, yeah, all kinds of ripple effects over a long time. Especially with a guy like Colangelo. Like, you try to go back through his son's history. I mean, he was there since 1994, meaning he's been an executive the entire time I've been alive. So, it's a lot to dig through. But, uh, that was an interesting one. Um. All right. Who is your? Those guys were your five and your four, right? Who's your third? Or did you have somebody else at five besides Wallace? No, also I had Ernie five
1: Grunfeld five. at five. All I right. know he was in the bottom five too. Let's let's talk about him. Yeah,
0: you, for sure. So Go I, for it.
1: I did not know how far back Ernie Grunfeld went. Quite. Uh, I knew he'd been in Washington for a long time. I had not realized that he was the guy who hired Pat Riley to yeah. coach the Knicks. Yeah.
0: Ernie's been around for a minute. Um, yeah. and, and for, for Colangelo, you know, going directly from one example to the next, there's, there's good things for that. For Grunfeld, there's bad things because basically for me, I kind of like skimmed through his time with the Knicks and, I mean, he's been a few years with the Bucs, but mostly I was looking at his time with the Wizards and really there's nothing to show for it. Um,
1: besides,
0: <laughs> you know, some, some brief flashes in the pan, so that's why yeah. he landed so low for me, at least. Before I get too deep on it, I'll, I'll let you explain a little bit. Um, how did you parse through so many years for him, and how did you end up with him so low on the list?
1: Um, for me, again, it was it was the, you know, I rate I I weighted the most recent stuff uh, more heavily um, for him since it's been since we're working on almost thirty years of history. I kind of. Mostly looked at, at since 2010, so the last seven and a half, eight years. Um, you know, and for me, there, he's really made like four good moves the entire time he's been in Washington, and that's Hafting, Wall, Beal, Porter, and Oubre. And I love all of those guys. And that honestly makes me grade him even more harshly because that is such an awesome core and you should be doing so much better with those guys as your four best players. Um, so for me, it comes down to his, uh, liberal, liberality with which he trades first round picks. I cannot stand that. And that is what put me, put him, uh, beneath everyone else. In my opinion, uh, you know, for Vlade, who I have second to last, like he he was in over his head the moment he took that job. So I don't hold that against him. Um, you know, a guy like Colangelo, um, you know, again, his his highs have been so much higher than Grunfeld's highs. With Grunfeld, again, like he's traded first-round pick for Martin Gortat, first-round pick for half a season of uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich, or Boyan Bogdanovich, excuse me. Yeah. Um, the the lesser of the Bogdanoviches. Indeed. Um, the same for for Keith Morris. Um, this is this was the worst one for me. He traded uh, the pick that turned out to be Ricky Rubio, which again could have could also have been Steph Curry yeah. or Demar Derozan. Yeah. You know you know who he traded that pick. With. Randy Foy and Mike Miller. <laughs>
0: <laughs> A lot of good that did yeah. him.
1: He also this this was the my probably the one that made me laugh the most he also traded a first round pick for Javaris Crittenden so gave up a first rounder for just you know for the guy who got Gilbert Arenas to pull a gun on him in the locker room um he did also sign Gilbert Arenas as a free agent so you've got to give him that um you know he did construct that kind of miracle 8c Knicks team that made the finals run. he signed uh, Allen Houston. He traded for Latrell's Freewell. Um, he hired J- uh, JVG. Um, you mentioned his brief tenure in Milwaukee. He drafted Michael Red with the 43rd pick. That's a good, that's a great pick. Um, then he also <laughs> traded Ray Allen for Desmond Mason, washed up Gary Payton. Super and washed the Gary Payton. That became Luke Ridnour.
0: Yeah.
1: So, you know, for everyone. Every move here that I saw that looked good. You know, he also drafted Jan Vesely. Um, he sold the pick that became Jordan Clarkson for cash. Um, really, like, he has just fucked the draft up so much, mostly by... Uh, actually, no, he's, he's done... His draft record is actually fairly well. Wall, Beal, Porter, Ubre, and Michael Red, That's pretty damn good. He's fucked the draft up by depriving himself of picks at every opportunity and it just boggles my mind when first round picks are maybe the most valuable commodity in the nba his willingness uh the willingness with which he parts with them is is stupefying and to me like to me that is just like when you don't value those at all um which she clearly seems not to um that's just unconscionable um, I, and I think he should have lost his job, like, a long time ago.
0: <laughs> Damn. Um, no, I mean, you look at his whole, and I, too, focus mainly on the on the Wizards, um, especially in the last five years or so. There have certainly been some interesting parts and maybe interesting small streaks for the Wizards, but never a team that really jumped out at you like, wow, that's, that's a well-constructed team. Like, it just didn't happen. Um, even with uh, such, I guess, skill and definitely a bit of fortune as well and those multiple successful draft picks going back to Wall and those guys who are the core of the team now, Porter, Oubre, and Beal I'll be honest when they took Otto Porter for the first couple years I thought that Otto Porter was a complete bust Uh, he really turned it around Um, he earned that contract last year he's a really valuable piece and definitely a cornerstone for them Um, hopefully as he keeps developing gets even better but they just uh, their biggest weakness for years now has been n- not having a bench, and he could have used those first-rounders he stupidly wasted to fill out their bench, or he could have used the salary cap that they had to fill out the bench, but instead he made stupid decisions like, like what I've complained about before, signing Jan Mahimi and barely playing him I, while he's Oh, I forgot shit. about
1: the Mahimi. Yeah. I, I don't know why. I forgot to write that down as that's part of fine. my notes. But that's an— atrocious contract.
0: The hit me was garbage. Yeah. That was pretty much the only thing I really had to throw out cuz besides that you did a good job laying it down. The other thing for me again with regards to personnel, they kept Randy Whitman for a lot longer than he needed to stick around.
1: You're um, right. 2015
0: You're right. like they had some unexpected playoff success, so there it seemed like there was like some obligation that it was Whitman and they had to keep him around, but it wasn't. It was some really good players coming together and uh showing that there could be something special there if they got someone better run the show and they eventually did they got scotty brooks last year and uh he brought out a lot seemingly in the wall and beal duo who who possibly could have come to blows but instead seem to have figured each other out when they're both healthy um but now yeah I, i i just don't see too much looking forward because this roster's got too much dead weight on it um you mentioned they gave up a first-rounder for Gortat. I didn't mind that too much because he's been around for a while and he's given them solid minutes and been a part of those starting lineups that have been so successful. But the overall point I'm absolutely with. The guy spends first-round picks like they're $1 bills, and it's bit him in the ass. So um, Yeah. Yeah, he was my – I think because they've just had playoff success and because he's been around so long, and, and like you mentioned, those 90s-Knicks teams are pretty memorable as well. Um, that's why I only had him as fifth worst, but still being, or fourth worst after Chris Wallace, that's still quite bad. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think your point about Randy Whitman is really solid too. Um, they definitely kept him, you know, it's, it kind of speaks to the difference between like looking at the process versus looking at the results. Anyone could watch the wizards play with Randy Whitman as their coach and see that it wasn't working. Um, but then they won a playoff series against a beat-up Bulls team. Um, they won a playoff series against, uh, you know, they just kicked Toronto's ass in a playoff series. Um, and I feel like that clouded Grunfeld's judgment, uh, you know, when it came to keeping keeping Whitman. Um, and, you know, one guy who I have ranked very highly is, is Masai Ujiri. And one of the biggest reasons for that is the fact that he has drafted so well and built such a dominant bench, using you know the cheap contracts you can get by drafting guys in the late first round and, and developing them. And it's like you said, if, if Grunfeld had just held on to his picks, um, you know, and used them wisely, he could be in that same position. And then we wouldn't be, you know, the Wizards wouldn't be scrambling to remake their bench, um, you know, pretty much every season at at the trade deadline because it seems like it's always atrocious.
0: For sure, um, yeah. They just, it, it, they, they always. There's the kind of team that always comes into the season with a hole, instead of coming into the season with at least a, a vision that this team could be complete without more pieces. But we've, we've got to wrap up the garbage so we can get to the gold. Um, we've talked about uh, what three guys already. So, so go ahead and just, just wrap up your bottom five for me. Who's, who's your bottom two? Uh, is it McDonough the, and Devaj?
1: Yeah, the ones we haven't talked about so far, are McDonough and Vlade. Okay, um, <laughs> Vlade, I just feel bad for again. He Me was, too. he 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 came in so over his head. Um, but even so, you know, just the the overabundance of bigs. Um, you know, we've talked about cutting uh, Yorgos Papayanas. We both had that as our worst roster move of, of the season. Yeah. Um, you know the the boogie trade. You know the fact that he admitted there were better offers on the table than the one he took. Um, you know the I, there, there's just there's so much about that 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 has gone wrong. Um, you know I like I, I like the Scalabissiere pick a lot. I and then I don't I like the Willie Cauley Stein pick a lot too. But then I don't like you know Barry you know making those guys share the court with Cost Kufas and Zeebo. Um you know, the George Hill signing didn't make any sense. Um, and then for, for McDonough, you know, it just came down to the way he handled that kind of that surprise success of that 48 win season where they barely missed the playoffs and not recognizing that as an outlier and trying to build off of that. Um, you know, thinking that two point guards is cool. Let's have three point guards. And, uh, you know, he kind of, <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know how he could have exactly could have handled that better, but um, that situation worked out about as poorly as possible. Although we'll see what happens with the picks they got from Miami for the Goran Droggis trade. Um, but then, you know, the Chris and Bender picks have looked pretty bad the first couple years they've been in the league. is uh, still out on Josh Jackson. Uh, TJ Warren was a nice pick. Uh, Devin Booker, obviously, uh, he's got to get some credit for that. Um, you know, I also hold, you know, we talked about how interim got coaches rarely get the uh, the full-time job. There's a reason for that. And I think hiring Earl Watson as the Suns' full-time coach after uh, firing Jeff Hornacek was, was a mistake. And he kind of <laughs> tried to rectify that three games into the season Real and they just quick. got did yeah so i don't know that that's kind of where i'm at what about what's the rest of your bottom, bottom? uh so
0: it, it was it, it was del demps mcdonough and, and vladi um vladi you're right he's just way in over his head
1: yeah t- tell me about del Demps. because he i almost put him in the bottom so tell me i'm curious why you have him uh so far down there
0: um for me, it, it I really penalized him in a big way with the fact that the you know the Anthony Davis pick fell in their lap, um, and he's been able to put absolutely nothing around him the entire time. Um, wasted so much time, wasted assets left and right. Um, you know they finally got it together with the Boogie trade, and it's a bummer what happened with Boogie's Achilles. But even then, like the Boogie and and. Davis really put the time in to make that work. There was just as much of a chance that it wasn't going to work, and um, until that trade fell in their lap, I mean, they had what's his name, the kid in Sacramento, uh, Buddy healed.
1: Buddy, yeah. Who,
0: who is certainly not Steph Curry and was taken pretty high. Uh, so that was kind of a blown pick that Blotty saved their asses on. Um, Omera, she kind of is just redundant and shouldn't really be in the NBA. Um, Just again and again, he's had opportunities to make the right choice or put some talent around Anthony Davis. And really, I've penalized him in a big way for a lack of activity, almost. It's not like there's a crazy amount of, of bad moves there, but there's just not enough when you have such a great piece to be building a team around and you've only been able to get them to the playoffs once. Um, to me, it's pretty indefensible. I don't think he should be there. I think he should have moved on a long time ago. Uh, you know, they, they kicked the tires on Jimmer one time. he has been doing stuff yeah. like that. You yeah. Know, like bringing in Tim Frazier, like Langston Galloway. These are the names I see when I look through like his basketball reference, Lance Stevenson. Like that's how he tried to fill out the roster around Davis. And it's not even like Davis' contract has had them hamstrung for that long of a time. He signed the uh, Supermax-ish deal a couple years ago. He's not even going to get all the bonuses on that, as we know, because he didn't make the All-NBA team. And then, finally, it came time to throw a bunch of money at Drew Holiday, which I don't think was a good move either. They kind of had to do it, though, because he didn't get himself in a position to act otherwise. He had to. His hand was forced. So, we'll see what happens with Boogie. Um really hard to say whether you sign a guy with a busted achilles even when his ceiling's as high as boogies is but um ah, until, yeah. until until till never i don't have it until del demps just shouldn't be the gm of the pelicans anymore and i feel bad for anthony davis
1: you might have sold me on swapping him with brian colangelo down into my trash tier I, i'm gonna have to like make room for him yeah, get, bitch. Room for a sixth man on the <laughs> trash bus um <laughs> 6th minute of the yeah, year. You know, there's just so much like we we've, we've talked this year about they until the Oshik they traded Oshik for Miritich, which although the, I don't like that trade even though it made them better in the immediate term, that's not what they should have been going for in the in the aftermath of of the Boogie injury. I think they should have traded AD because he's gone. He's he's not his next contract is not going to be with the New Orleans Pelicans. Like spoiler alert <laughs> you know we've talked to i don't know how much say he has over their medical staff i don't think he hires them but so i can't hold that against him but i'm sure ad will hold it against the franchise when he decides to sign elsewhere just like he'll hold del demps's inability to uh build any sort of competent roster around him yeah we talked about uh before the Oshik trade they had nearly 30 million dollars on their cap from whom they were getting no production this yep. year between Oshik Solomon Hill, who's a horrible signing, and Alexis Aginsa. Yeah. Um, one thing that kind of rubbed me the wrong way about Dems is they had Robin Lopez on their team, on a good deal, traded him, and then paid Oshik. They could have just ruled with Lopez this entire time. Just keep up. Um, paid him not as much as they're paying Oshik and, and gotten far more production. Um, and then... How did you evaluate the the Chris Paul trade when it came to Dell Dems? Because that was a hard one for me. Because the return that got Eric Gordon, Alfred Camino, Chris Kamen, and the pick that became Austin Rivers was shit. But Dell Dems had agreed to a trade that was vetoed by David Stern that would have brought New Orleans a much better return, in my opinion. So I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know how much I could criticize him for what they got when it seemed like Dems tried to get them something better and then the league vetoed it.
0: Yeah, I literally gave them a mulligan for that exact reason. Uh, an unprecedented move of commissioner interference when the Lakers and the Hornets at the time and whoever else needed to all agreed to the deal. Um, and it would have been better for them. So what they got yeah. from the Clippers was just the fact that they still had to trade Chris Paul and they found a team to do it. And, you know, that was clearly plan B, but they had to do something because there was no alternative. So I, yeah. I did not hold it against him, even though, you're right, it was a very good return. Um, yeah. yeah. One other thing oh, I just want to note is that Emeka Okafor currently starts for the New Orleans, New Orleans Pelicans.
1: He does. The other thing I, I hold against um, uh, against uh, Del Demps is the way he – handled uh monty williams yeah Uh, i don't think williams deserved to be fired when dems pulled the trigger
0: yeah
1: um you know especially like immediately after he had led them to the playoffs and and you know maybe this is kind of another process versus results thing he didn't like the process with monty williams and he was gone regardless of what of the result of that playoff run um which is the attitude I, i said ernie grunfeld should have adopted with uh, Randy Whitman. The yeah. difference is I thought Marty Williams was doing a pretty damn good job in new Orleans. Um, you know, and, and I thought he had a great relationship with, with Anthony Davis. Not that that's the end all be all. Um, but again, he had a fairly limited roster. Uh, his G- GM had assembled for him. And I think he really maximized it. Um, and, and I, you know, Alvin Gentry is a good coach. But again, he's been dealing with such a limited roster. It's just, it's hard. It's kind of hard to evaluate what the coaches in New Orleans have done. But I feel like Dents definitely made uh, Monty his fall guy.
0: Yeah, I I would say that's a fair assessment. And Gentry at the time was an, a hire I was excited for, coming off of being Steve Kerr's lead assistant on that championship team. But. He didn't do much to impress me last year. This year, they found a way to make it work with Boogie and Cousins. Again, I really feel like that came down to Boogie and Cousins deciding they liked each other and wanted to make it work on the court together more than anything a coach could do. But, uh, yeah, that's we'll see with Dell Demps. I I still think the guy's a lost cause. But, all right, yeah. let's get off the shit heap and and have, have some more fun <laughs> up at the top. Um, I think we're going to have maybe the exact same five names, but at least four of them in common. But I think the order is going to be big here. So we're going to run down the top five uh, GMs we have in our power rankings from from five to one. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll let you do the honors if you'd like.
1: All right. So number five, I have R.C. Buford, Buford slash Greg Popovich. Okay. And I put them together because with them, I really have no idea who calls the shots. Um, so I just kind of, I have them as a team at number five. Mm-hmm. Um, number four, I have Bob Myers, uh, Golden State. Okay. Uh, number three, Daryl Morey in Houston. Okay. At uh, number two, I've got Danny Ainge you good old your good old pal Trader Danny. Did you put Masai, Masai Number one, my number one is Masai Ujiri.
0: Oh my god!
1: <laughs> I I knew you would agree with that, <laughs> but but we we can get into that in, in, into that later. Um, and that that was hard for me. Um, but just to be to be brief, before we get too far into the details, it came down to Masai has really not made. Like any egregious mistakes, like out of everyone I looked at, he had probably the the fewest mistakes, and the ones he has made were not court very costly. And when I looked at that, combined with all the good he's done, that was what ended up putting him over the top for me. But what's enough of that? What's your top five?
0: Um, same five names, different order. <laughs> My number five is Masai Jerry. Okay. Number four is Daryl Morey. Number three is R.C. Buford. Number two is Bob Myers. And number one is that glorious man known as Trader Danny, Danny Edge. All right. Yeah.
1: Where do you want to start?
0: Uh, We'll start at the top since we have different number ones. Um, Since we actually have one through five, we're different all the way. I I just want to talk more about Masai. Yeah. (laughs) You're right. Uh, I'll, I'll let you go a little more. But first, I just want to say you're absolutely right. His tenure is is stacked with mostly some big hits. Uh, not only the Mellow trade getting a huge haul back, but also the Iguodala trade was on his watch. Um, and that was huge for yeah. the Nuggets as well. And that Nuggets team was, I believe, the one seed that year, right? Until they had some injuries, unfortunately. It
1: was the three seed. They won three 57 seed. wins in the three seed, which is That's still crazy. the most wins uh, in franchise history.
0: That's crazy. Okay, I... Uh... I, I liked them so much, I guess I gave them some extra seating. Regardless, um, yeah, some of the best teams in Nuggets history, and those teams were a lot of fun, very well constructed. Obviously, yeah. these Raptors teams have had a lot of success as well, and even against a lot of pressure to dismantle them and do away with it and start anew, he's committed to what he's built, and it's shown year after year they keep getting better and better, and now they're on top of the East and are a legitimate finals contender this year, um, perhaps more so than any of those Period, previous years um so i'll let you dive in on on why he's your top dog um because he's pretty high up there for me you, you gotta pick nits up with these guys but but yeah it down for him yeah he's side number one
1: and that's that's what made it so hard but yeah so just you know he came into denver um into a pretty bad situation with mellow wanting out um traded him halfway through his first season as gm and i think he really set the standard for what you want to get when you're trading a superstar. We just talked about, uh, you know, the, the Dell Demps deal, um, the, the, or the Chris Paul deal, um, that is not the, um, <laughs> return you want, um, for, for a superstar, but he, he got, you know, Danilo Gallinari, Wilson Chandler, um, guys who Chandler is still with the team. Gallinari was up until recently. They're both part of, uh, you know, those playoff teams that we talked about, um, Mazi. Yeah, they also got Mozgov. Uh, he also got the pick that became Jamal Murray. Yep. in that trade. Yep. Um he drafted Kenneth Fareed. Yep. Uh, who had who gave the Nuggets some some great stuff. He traded uh he traded Nene for JaVale McGee, which uh you know, that was a little bit of, you know it were it looked like it was gonna work out for the Nuggets at the time. Um but after they fired George Carl, McGee just kinda lost his way. Uh, with the Nuggets, but then you mentioned the Iguodala trade, which uh, worked out phenomenally. Uh, that was part of the Dwight Howard deal, and uh, the Nuggets gave up Aaron Aflalo and Al Harrington, um, and and got back, you know, only one year of Andre Iguodala. But I I'm pretty confident that were had Masai stayed in Denver, he would have kept him been able to re-sign Iguodala. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Then we're getting to getting to um, Toronto first move was trading Andrea Bar- Bargnani for a uh, first-round draft pick. They
0: got value. Which,
1: yeah, which ended up bringing, being Jakob perl I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Um, trading Rudy Gay, um, which really was decent. If you want to look at a single move that turned this Raptors team around, that was that it. That was it, yeah. Um, that was in December of 2013. That's when they turned their shit around and became uh, – Consistent playoff contender. Um, he traded John Salmons for Lou Williams, uh, who put in a six-man of the year campaign for the Raptors. Um, but then, then it really gets into what put him over the top for me, and that that is the way he has drafted and developed young talent. So we mentioned Jakob Pertl. Um, so th- this bench unit the Raptors have right now—that is by. Far the best bench in the league of uh, Pirtle, Delon Wright, Pascal Siakam, Norman um, Powell, Van Vliet. Pirtle was the only lottery pick out of all of those names, and uh, he he was taken ninth, so it wasn't exactly a kind of you know superstar range. But Powell was a second round pick. Um, he picked Ogn and Obi in the twenties. Pascal Siakam, late first round pick. Same for Delon Wright. Uh, Van Vliet w- went undrafted. Um. You know, their ability to to develop these guys, and not only to like identify them, but it, it's so hard to have a hit rate that high. Um, I give a lot of credit to him for Raptors 905, too, their G League team, um, which won the G League title last year, and I think there's a lot to be said for um, the developmental system they have down there. You know, Jerry Stackhouse, the coach of Raptors 905, has been, he's had his name thrown around as a potential NBA head coach, and Um, I, so I give you Jerry credit for that. Um, but again, I think maybe the single biggest thing is what you already mentioned, which is the patience. uh, the number of times, you know, Dwayne Casey's people have been calling for Dwayne Casey's head. Um, he's my coach of the year this year. You know, you, Jerry stuck with him through times when I feel like a lot of other general managers would not have patience not to blow it up, not to trade Lowry. Not to trade DeRozan, not to let uh, either of those guys walk when that was an option. Um, you know, just to stick, like you said, to stick with those guys um, until it coalesced in something beautiful this season. This the, you know, the ability to look at what they had done. You know, they made a conference finals run in 2016. They made the second round in 2017, and to have the humility to look at your organization and the way you play. And to completely reinvent, decide to completely reinvent yourselves, and then to successfully pull that off in such a short amount of time, um, is pretty uh, spectacular. Um, you know, I also look at the uh, the Ibaka trade, getting uh, you know, basically getting him for Terrence Ross, who was given you know nothing to to Orlando. Um, you know, it's 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 all of that. Um, you know, and then again, like I said, it just comes down to. Like his worst move might have been drafting Bruno Caboclo. Um, you know, I think the one the one misstep I think you can really say he made was would be signing Demaryius Carroll to that contract and then having to trade a first round pick to get off of that. But that's that's one instance. And you look, you know, even with some of the other guys I have in my top five, I saw just you know multiple mistakes of that caliber. And for Messiah, that's really the only fuck up he's had like on that level. So for me that's that's it's really it's, it's all of that 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 put him on top for me. Sure and
0: and um to be sure he he has hit where he needs to and he's avoided making any catastrophic mistakes that can really sink the ship. Uh I was going to bring up Bruno and and Damari Carroll cuz those were two uh missteps but he was able to correct them both. Uh, being able to move off the Carroll contract, sending him to Brooklyn, uh, allowed them to salvage cap space and the roster spot essentially. Recently, being able to trade Bruno to Malachi Richardson for Malachi Richardson yeah. was just cloudy saving someone else from himself. Uh, we'll see what comes of Malachi, but he just has more skills playing basketball than Bruno, who had barely played basketball before he got drafted, I guess.
1: Who's, who, and he's he's still two years away? <laughs> From being two years away. Um,
0: even, you know, they when the Celts didn't want to re sign Jared Solinger a couple years ago and the Raptors ended up picking him up, it was on a cheap deal. He didn't work out. But they ended up being able to package Solinger in a second-round pick to grab P.J. Tucker, who yeah. played good minutes for them. So, yeah, man. I uh, Again, it, it's, it's picking nits. He has put together a really solid team he's avoided some serious mistakes other guys would have made like letting Bismack Biombo walk when a lot of guys would have decided yeah. to resign him after that big off op- that big playoffs but uh as we've seen in Orlando that was clearly a flash in the pan. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, he absolutely heisted Orlando for Serge Ibaka and then brought him back and he's made up a pretty spectacular core with Larry and DeRozan this year.
1: Um Yeah. And, and the deals he signed, uh, Lowry and Ibaka, too, this offseason, um, I think were really smart. Um, Signing them to like three-year maxes instead of five years. Um, so theoretically, these guys will be getting off. The contracts will be ending right as these guys are really falling out of their primes. I think, I think the, the length of those contracts was really smart, too.
0: And I'll say even, that's the second contract in a row with Lowry. I remember the one before this. I thought, man, Kyle Lowry's about to get a lot of money. They brought him back under the max when he had already shown himself to be a big-time talent because he had faith in the vision. Uh, He liked Toronto. That was where he had come into his own. Um, they signed him to a below market deal for a player of his caliber, and not only did he play above expectations, but he was more than willing to come back to Toronto, like you said, for less than a full max that he possibly could have gotten. So, uh, yeah, the guy uh, so, gets it done.
1: Yeah, let's talk about why why Danny Ainge was was number one for you because there were some there there were a few things that that definitely kept him below messiah for me so i'm i'm interested what what put him up up top for you i mean other than the fact that he is like he has nailed all the big moves if that that is what at least to me like that is what danny has going for him
0: yeah um so first of all he they call him trader danny for a reason there's been a lot of roster turnover over the years in boston so trying to parse through every transaction he's done since 2003 is borderline impossible um that said, I did my best, and, and obviously with bias, having grown up in New England, I tried my best to really take a uh, an honest look at what he's done. But like you said, he just hits home runs too much and puts teams in position not only to be good, but to be really, really good. He did it, first of all, with the KG trade. When nobody thought KG was ever going to leave Minnesota, not only got KG to agree to being traded to Boston, but also put together a package that worked to get him there after already trading for Ray Allen putting them with Paul Pierce and putting the pieces that they needed underneath those guys to win that championship that year. Um, First of all, for me, the top three guys are all guys who have put together championship-winning teams, and that mattered a lot to me. That's why I put Maury and Ujiri. That's among the reasons I put Maury and Ujiri below those top three guys. Um, Interesting. So Danny just did it. He put together a team that could win a championship and had a coaching staff that could coach them to a championship in Doc Rivers and Tom Thibodeau. And say what you will about how much time Doc Rivers spends on the golf course now, stealing a line from Bill Simmons. But back then, Doc Rivers was considered one of the best coaches in the league. KG and Paul Pierce Mm -hmm. swore by by him. Paul Pierce followed him to L.A. down the road, and KG said he would only play for him in some way later on in his career. And after he retired, came back to L.A. Clippers camps to help out. Uh, So clearly there was an attachment there with the two biggest players on that team. Um, and screw Ray Allen. He seems like a weird guy anyway, but he hit some big (laughs) shots for us when we needed him. Um, He, you know, people have tried to bring into question his draft record, but really looking at it, uh, he's hit more often than not with, I mean, going back to to Rondo and Perkins. Talk about Avery Bradley was a great draft pick. More recently, with the roster that you've got now, you're looking at a bunch of guys from top to bottom that started out as draft picks on the Celtics, be it uh, Marcus Smart, Terry Rozier, uh, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, all guys yeah. that Danny chose to draft in various spots throughout the draft. Uh, three he also guys drafted, Just uh,
1: going back a bit, but he drafted Al Jefferson and Tony Allen, too.
0: Yeah, there you go. Who I mean, Tony Allen had some great years in Boston. Jefferson mainly was able to be used as a piece that ended up getting us Garnett. But um, his draft record is 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 pretty good. It's not perfect. I mean, James Young's mixed in there. Jared Solinger didn't work out too well. Rest in peace, Fab Mello, unfortunately. Um, there's plenty of guys sprinkled in there, so, um, yeah, you can criticize me because I just said I was picking nits with Masai, but I'm looking over some mistakes for Danny. At the end of the day, though, it's the fact that first he built the championship team in 2008, and then when it was falling apart, he was able to remove himself emotionally from the situation. Pulled the trigger on the huge Brooklyn deal that, in the moment, felt like a huge win for Brooklyn and a step back for Boston. Now, of course, it was a step back for Boston and that they proceeded to tank and have a bad year and get the sixth pick and draft Marcus Smart with it. But in the long run, as we all know, that was an absolute heist. Probably the biggest heist yeah. of all time in NBA history, or very close, if not looking at what they were able to do with that assets, not only getting those two guys I mentioned who are foundational pieces for us and Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, but also using that third Nets pick along with Isaiah, who they got partially through the trade for Tyler Zeller, which Cleveland just did to open up cap space for LeBron, trading the eventual results of that pick, Isaiah Thomas, back to Cleveland for Kyrie freaking Irving, only for Cleveland to then trade two of the four assets they received from Boston out before the season was even over is another absolute heist because that Nets pick's probably not even going to be in the top five now. And I'm sorry, but Auntie Zizic is not exactly a franchise-altering talent. auntie Auntie, auntie however you say his name, I never figured no, out he wasn't with not. the team long enough. Um, <laughs> trades like that, he, he, he just pulls it off, man. Um, I can't believe teams are still willing to trade with him. He just waits. He keeps the powder dry. Um, he's dodged a few bullets. There was a quote I heard just this week, actually, from Mike Gorman, the longtime announcer on doing the local broadcast for the Celtics. said when they first hired Danny, uh, he actually talked to Red Auerbach about him, and Red said that uh, Danny's good at everything he does. He likes to win, but most importantly, he's lucky. And, and really, the guy's been lucky with a lot of things happening in the right place at the right time. Nets trade, of course. Also, the Cavs trade. Also, the fact that Michael Jordan didn't want to trade five picks for the pick that could have been Justice Winslow because he liked Frank Kaminsky too much. All We wouldn't be talking about Danny Ainge at all right now um, if the Hornets hadn't vetoed that trade. There's little moments like that sprinkled throughout, but Danny Ainge combined luck and skill, and I think the Celtics are set up to be one of the top five teams in the NBA for the next seven to ten years with the roster they have right now.
1: Yeah, you're you're absolutely right, and that's – a lot of what you said is why I had him at uh, at number two above uh, Daryl Morey is because he's really had success uh, through tr- trades and the draft, whereas Daryl Morey's draft record is, is really like kind of non-existent. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll get to him in a minute, um, but yeah, it, it's interesting how how you said you valued championships because. Obviously, by having Masai Ujiri first, that's not. I didn't really take those into account when I was formulating these rankings. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the Hornets trade, the Hornets trade that didn't happen. Yeah, if that that trade happened, no one would talk about Trader Danny. Like people, people would call him Trader Danny in like a pejorative way. They would they would call him that to make fun of his ass. While Rich Cho would just be raking in Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and Kyrie Irving. <laughs> Who knows? Look, but, man, we don't you know, we don't
0: know what picks they were. We just know they offered five picks.
1: Yeah, but I mean, when you think about it, like what what other picks could they have been? I mean, a couple of those Nets picks had to have been yep. in there, no doubt. Um, and you know, Michael Jordan's inexplicable love for drafting big white guys saved Danny's ass right there. Um, you don't
0: know what Justice Winslow would have looked like under Brad Stevens, though. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even mention Brad, but that's a genius hire of a coach. Out of the college rankings, no less.
1: You're right. that That is a genius hire. And it's funny because after he hired Stevens, you saw uh, Chicago hired Fred Hoiberg. Uh, OKC Billy hired Donovan. Billy Donovan. Yeah. Neither of those have really worked out the way, the way Brad has. Um, he's just been he's been, he's been unbelievable. That was like a phenomenal job by Danny identifying that what he did well would translate to the, to the NBA. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you, you, t- you mentioned his draft record. There are, there, there are some things in there I held against him and that part bits of his draft record and the post Hortis trade are what pushed him below Masai for me, ultimately, um, and that's, um, he drafted Marshawn Brooks in the first round, took Jared Solinger and Fab Mello with back-to-back picks. James Young didn't work out. You know, R.J. Hunter looked like he had some potential, but he's out of the league now. Yeah. Um, so th- those, again, it's, we're talking about guys this great, you're picking nits, But for me, that's what separated Danny from uh, Masai. Um, but, I mean, Ainge, he's he's made so many good trades. Like some, some we didn't even mention, you know, trading Rondo for Jay Crowder. Um, you know, there's just some other ones. You know, trading uh,
0: that was a heist. Uh,
1: two, trading Bebe Nogaria and two second round picks for Kelly Olenek, uh in that yeah. draft. Uh, trading a, a first round pick to Phoenix for uh, for Rondo, and um, on draft day, um, you know, just. The, the uh, Isaiah Thomas heist. And then again, turning, trading Marcus Thornton in a first-round pick for Isaiah Thomas. And then turning around and packaging IT for Kyrie Irving. Just ruthless. That is one thing that I really like about Danny. Is just how goddamn cold-blooded he is. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, I have such a soft spot for Isaiah Thomas. Um, and it, it kind of hurt to see him get traded like that. But at the same time... Yeah. You really have to admire just the complete lack of sentimentality from Danny Ainge to make that trade at the time he did. Um, yeah, so it's – I mean, and he, he's had – he built one title contender. He built a champion. He tore it down. Now he's built another title contender. Uh, that's almost impossible to do in the NBA. So it's it's really impressive.
0: It's uh, I mean, yeah, you're, you're definitely spotty with the draft record, but that that's really all that that you can knock him for. And and um. one other thing I'll I'll just mention is some of the signings that happened the last couple of years, even while they weren't exactly competing for a championship, were guys that uh, a lot of teams didn't work out with, but for whatever reason they got great value out of them. Um, Amir Evan John- Turner, yeah, Evan Turner is the main example. Amir Johnson already had success in Toronto, but we made. The most out of him in Boston, even though towards the end he was looking his age. Even re-upping with guys like Johnny Sterebko uh, turned out being good for us. And there's plenty of guys who came through Boston and and uh, didn't have much value. And by the time they left, there was a lot. Even looking at Jay Crowder and what he came in for is just a throw-in compared to what he got traded out for as what should have been a stalwart defender for that Cavs team. You know, at least he had the reputation. Um Having an eye for yeah. guys like that. And even the ability in the free agency market to sign Al Horford and Gordon Hayward. Um, yeah, those that's are, big. Those were the, uh, the top one or two free agents in their respective free agent classes. Horford behind Durant and Hayward, I think, behind no one. He was the big dog. Yeah, he year. was number one. Yeah.
1: Um, and yeah, you're right. Like He signed uh, Avery Bradley and Jay Crowder to immensely uh, valuable contracts which enabled him to trade them later. Yeah. Uh so that's you know Br- Bradley to clear cap space for Hayward, Crowder obviously in the in the Kyrie trade. Um so yeah, both of those were very smart and and forward thinking too. Um
0: for sure. But uh okay, let's round out the top 5. Um next I had RC Buford and Daryl Morey. Next you had Daryl Morey, Bob Myers and RC Buford. I actually had Bob yeah. Myers second. Um, we're running super duper long, so I think the best way for us to handle this is to kind of pull out some pros and cons on why one guy was better than the other and where they sit. Um, starting with Daryl Morey because I think he's the most unique <coughs> of the three. What uh, what have you got about Dork Elvis?
1: Dork Elvis. I mean, it's you know it comes down to two things. He traded for James Harden. He traded for Chris Paul. I mean, especially the Harden trade. Well, it really both of these, because these both he, he pulled both of these out of his ass. They came out out, out of nowhere. Um, you know, Harden was had not been rumored to be on the market at all. Okay, so you didn't have to trade him. Um, this trade is really the sole reason why Sam Presti was not in my top five. Um, but to get the Current or the almost the surefire MVP, the guy who really should be going for his second MVP, um, for Jeremy Lamb, Kevin Martin, first round pick, is is ridiculous. And the same thing, no one had thought of Houston as a destination for Chris Paul until Daryl Morey made it happen. And again, he kind of gutted his team's depth to make that happen. But then he rebuilt that depth on on the fly through free agency through the very valuable signings of Luka Shard and Bamute and PJ Tucker uh, for, through getting Brandon Wright um, and uh, Joe Johnson on the buyout market. Um, and then I, I, give him a lot of credit for taking a chance on Eric Gordon Ryan Anderson too. Um, I think he overpaid a little bit for both of those guys, but um, I think he believed that they would be better and healthier in Houston than they were in new Orleans. And, and he was right. Um, drafted Clint Capella as well uh with the 25th pick which is great value value for the 25th pick um a few thing the few things I I hold against him again uh he he traded um the pick no not even the pick he he drafted uh Nikola Mirotic, uh stashed him and then traded him to his rights to Minnesota for Johnny Flynn and Donatus Moriunis. Oh God, that did not work out well. Um, and but yeah, other than that, I mean, he also let Goran Dragic walk in uh, in free agency. Yeah. Um. um he all, same thing with uh, with Robert Covington. He actually he signed Robert Covington uh, and then let him walk. But it's hard to fault him for that because really, uh, up until recently, no one really knew how good Covington could be um I don't know what, what what about you what um how do you, how do you evaluate that that whole Dwight Howard era too because that was kind of hard for me because that had some unbelievable highs and, and unbelievable lows
0: yeah I was gonna ask about that because you didn't bring it up too much um at the time it they seemed like a big winner for making that signing it was he was somebody everybody was coveting and they seemed to win that lottery um And, it, you know, at the end of the day, it just didn't work out. But he always talks about his whole mentality is that it's a star-driven league and you just need to have a lot of talent. And at the time, it seemed like a move to give them enough talent to be in a position to win a championship. And they did, um, at one point, have a really solid team with Harden and Howard. And then, of course, it it disintegrated. um, And they didn't. And they let Howard walk, and that was that. Um, And Even as that was all happening and they had that one down year, he managed to keep his eyes moving forward, Daryl that is, and keep enough flexibility to put together the team they have now. Keep enough uh, assets around for Chris Paul to appear. The Paul and Harden trades alone put him up in this stratosphere. Um, What else was I going
1: to... Oh um there's just there's, one more thing too yeah. like hiring Dan Tony too was yeah. was you know that was not very well received at the time it was kind of because he was coming off pretty bad tenures in new york and and with the lakers um but that has worked out i think as well as it possibly could have
0: absolutely and even considering the circumstances where uh you know, McHale had had some success as the coach of that team. Um, then to suddenly have the team come out flat and hardened, it seems basically threw him under the bus. The way that McHale's spoken about him since then seems like that was definitely the case. To then come up with D'Antoni to keep move the team forward, um, eventually was awesome. And and you know, it was not the super popular choice. D'Antoni did not have good runs and. New York or in L.A., but it ended up being the right choice, because this team is a force to be reckoned with. A uh, couple other things that I had focused on, on like, why he was as far down for me as fourth. Um, first, like I said earlier, my top three guys all won, won championships, um, but more than that, uh, the Lin signing, Jeremy Lynn was kind of weird and unnecessarily flashy. And, yeah. And, uh, you mentioned some of the guys that I, I would have mentioned as well, letting Drogic walk, and also trading away Kyle Lowry. I mean, they didn't really know what he was going to become in Toronto. Toronto barely knew, but he had been there long enough that um, they, you know, you'd think maybe they would have figured out that there was another level in there. But Lowry's come out since then and just said it wasn't the right atmosphere for him. Uh, So Yeah. I don't know. And I
1: I did have that rank against him as well until I realized that they – used the pick they got for Lowry to trade for James Harden. And then I was like, well, yeah. if he doesn't trade Lowry, does he get Harden?
0: That's a good point. So
1: that that's um, another thing I I, I held against Maury. Uh, he traded Patrick Patterson to Sacramento for Thomas Robinson, um, which, dumb. you know, Thomas Robinson had a lot of athleticism, had some, you know, potential as a, I think maybe it, it's crazy to think he, he was drafted in 2012, but even then I think he would come into the league too soon. Yeah. Um, I think if he was coming in the league now. Uh, he would have value as uh, as a five at the time. Everyone was trying to make him a four. Um, but, uh, Patrick Patterson was a good solid glue guy for a long time for, um, uh, Toronto. Toronto. Yeah. And, uh, he's a guy who, who Houston maybe could have used, um, he also traded uh, Batum on draft day um, for uh, Dante Green and Joey Dorsey. I'd never heard of Dante Green until now, um, <laughs> so that that wasn't great either. Yeah, and you know the Ryan Anderson contract was a bit of an overpay, and that might not look good in two years, but it's. It, I think it was justifiable at the time. Um, He's just got such good value through his other free agency signings, getting Patrick Beverley on the minimum, um, getting Mbamute for uh, $2 million this year. Um, God, even signing Josh Smith in in December 2014 after he got waived by Detroit, Josh Smith won them that playoff series again against the Clippers. Oh, my um, God. So... That I've got to uh, I've got to give him some love for for that too. And I mean, this um, year they
0: got Joe Johnson on the bio market as well, so he, he's always been active in furnishing his roster and bits and pieces like that. J- Josh Smith was exactly that kind of, of acquisition.
1: Yeah. Let's move on to we've talked a lot about more. Let's move on to, to our last guys in both of our top five: Buford and uh, uh, Bob Myers. Um, so I know you had you had Myers ranked higher than me. Um, I mean. How much do we really need to talk about him? I mean, he's done some pretty amazing things, and uh, in, in just a, a short amount of time.
0: Yeah, um, for me, with Myers um, putting him second, it's the fact that he put together one of the best teams of all time. Um, you know, which can pretty much go without saying. He put together a roster that is going to cause the NBA to have to make some changes to the way that the league literally operates because it's so good. Um, He made some tough decisions in deciding to base the team around Steph and Clay when plenty of people would have told you that wasn't the way to go, both with Monte and with uh, leaving Kevin Love on the table and deciding to keep Clay, which now are ingenious moves. And not only, uh, did he grab, I mean, Clay probably got taken around where he should have, but grabbed Steph when a bunch of people looked him over, grabbed Draymond when a bunch of people looked him over, took some diamonds in the rough and put them together into this superpower that eventually, yeah, Jordan Bell just this past year. Um, I think Harrison
1: Barnes was a really good pick at number seven, too.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, it's a good point. Harrison Barnes, and even, uh. The trade for Bogut. I mean, I know he's not on the team anymore, but they yes. w- what they got back from Monte Ellis, Bogut ended up being a centerpiece of that first championship team. So um, it was a culmination of, of how, you know, just the act of team building. He It was a master class um, and continues to be. And that goes all the way up to the coaching staff, giving it over to Steve Kerr, who is not just one of the, the – the, best coaches in the league, but also continues to surround himself with awesome staffs, be it Alvin Gentry, like I mentioned earlier on that first team, was an excellent assistant for him. Uh, Luke Walton oversaw yeah. that crazy 24-25 win streak to begin that season, the 73-win season. Um, it's always been a robust staff, and even looking at the team this year, after three straight years of making the finals, going out of the box to find ways to motivate them, like drawing up their own plays or whatever, trying to break the league record for the most technicals. Um, I don't know, man. Being able to sign Kevin Durant, convincing him to come join this team when it's already the best team in league history, that is just off the scale. That's a pretty okay move. Yeah, so, I don't know. Uh, anything else that I maybe not didn't mention about him? Um, why why didn't you have him number one, I guess? Because he's got such a good track record, right?
1: Um. Again, for me, like there were a couple a couple moves he made I didn't like. They actually he traded the pick that became Andre Roberson for Archie Goodwin. Mm. Um, And again, every every GM is going to have have moves like that. Um, I also I don't like the contracts to which he signed Andre Iguodala and Sean Livingston this off season, particularly Iguodala's three year forty eight million dollar deal. That. I think is going to, you know, maybe it won't come back to bite them simply because, uh, they don't give a damn about paying the luxury tax. Um, but I don't think even this year, Iguodala is worth that much money. Um, uh, Livingston, I think maybe, you know, $8 million a year for Livingston, I think is okay. But, um, for what they're, what they're paying, Iguodala at, at his age and with his inconsistency, um, I think is is just not going to be valuable going forward. Um, those are that that was pretty much it. I just I really dislike that Iguodala deal. Um, but I, you know, there's there's again we're picking nits, and there's not much to complain about when you see what he's built over these last few years. Um, I, you know, you mentioned the coaching staff. I, I honestly think the out of all the moves he's made. Um, Firing that Bible thumping phony Mark Jackson ooh, and firing Sinker was the best. Um, those aren't my words. Those are the words of your your great Boston scribe Bob Ryan, who I just uh, I stole those out of his mouth. But I can't stand Mark Jackson. I can't stand anything about him. Um, I you know I hate that he does the finals with uh, JVG and Mike Breen because I love those guys as a pair. But every time he opens his mouth, I want to hit mute. That's, that's neither here nor there. Maybe <laughs> we can put a separate, uh, you know, announcing team's power rankings later. But taking a chance on hiring Steve Kerr, a guy with no coaching experience, plucking him straight out of the uh, broadcast booth, that was genius. And I think that, you know, obviously that unlocked their first title team, that unlocked their 73-win team. And there's no way Kevin Durant signs with them without – that move having, having previously happened. So, um, yeah, to me that, that is probably his, his biggest stroke of genius. Um, and then, I mean that, so that that leaves, that's about all I have to say about, um, uh, Bob Myers. I don't know if there's anything else you want to add, but I'm down to talk about RC Buford. Um, his, he would have been higher for me. Um, were it not for uh, kind of what they've done this this past off season with uh, that big contract they gave Mark uh, Pau Gasol.
0: Yeah. Uh. The last thing I'll note with Myers uh, is even though he didn't draft draft staff, I consider him a, as helping draft Clay because he was the assistant GM in 2011. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. RC definitely this past year. The way that the team looks moving forward um, moved him down a little bit for me, too, even though I had him higher than you. I had him three. Um, I mean, the way that those San Antonio teams just were so consistently excellent and him and Pop behind virtually all of it. I mean, the first one happened without him. RC became uh, president or whatever title they give him. That's kind of changed over time. Uh, president and then GM he was president in 97 became the GM in 2002 either way it has been there pretty much the entire time Duncan's been there and almost as long as Popovich um, just solid roster construction um, just consistency unrivaled in pretty much every professional sport this side of the New England Patriots in terms of consistent excellence uh, do you know that ring count Counts for a whole lot, and it didn't happen by accident. I mean, it was the same three guys at the center when you talk about Tony Duncan and Manu. But at the same time, there were different pieces around them, and even that first uh, championship was Duncan and the general Robinson. But like
1: you said, I like the
0: way that you said uh, the Admiral. Excuse me, we've been <laughs> we've been talking for like an hour and a half. Yeah, uh,
1: uh, general <laughs> self our insurance. Yeah, you're right.
0: <laughs> For a great car shirts, go to the general and take some time. No, yeah, the admiral. The admiral. David Robinson. Um, I'll me, hang on. Yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. I like the way that you that you mentioned Buford and Pop because it's really a team effort. Um, going back to him, a great example of this for me was when they were looking to sign LaMarcus Aldridge, uh, Aldridge and Pop like, went out to dinner. Um, and this has happened countless times even going back to when Tim Duncan got drafted him and Pop went fishing and had a nice bottle of wine Uh, Buford's always been comfortable with Pop taking so much liberty and the lead and doing things the Greg Popovich way which often means being very surly and very counter and not counterintuitive but counter cultural I guess in the way that he achieves the goals for them but it's produced time and time again and, I mean, you look at their recent draft record, and even though it worked, there's kind of some question marks looking ahead with certain actions like that big pow contract and with the state of Kawhi right now, which I'd say was more or less out of R.C. Buford's control, it's just Kawhi being a weirdo and having weird leg injuries, unfortunately. Um, grabbing kids like DeJounte, Murray, and even Derek White last year, who we've only seen flashes from so far. I guess that's just the Colorado bias coming out in me, but um there's plenty there for them moving forward. And uh that 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 yeah. They got rid of Bobon, unfortunately, but I liked him too.
1: Yeah. You now for me like their biggest <coughs> the, the single the single greatest thing that they have going for them, and I think what really enabled them to you know, the Spurs to Contend, you know, to be so great for such a long period of time, was the fact that every contract they signed, to which they signed their big three, uh, Duncan, Parker, and Ginobili, was a below-market value contract. And you know, on one hand, that says a lot about the players themselves and their selflessness and their willingness to take less, to take less money to play for a winner. But it also says a lot about. The way Pop and Buford and I really am just evaluating them together because I, I don't know how to separate who you know who has what responsibilities. But I think it says a lot to the culture they created that makes those guys stay there for less money than they could have gotten anywhere else. And to me, that's that's huge because to have three Hall of Fame players on below market value a deal for their entire careers. Um, and, you know, to get five rings through them is just, that's that's absurd. Um, the other thing, too, um, this was before Buford is, was officially elevated to that title, but, um, you know, Pop was certainly involved in this. But drafting Manu Ginobili with the 57th pick in the drafts, I think is probably the single biggest draft steal in NBA history. I mean, especially when, when you're just talking about uh, value, for where a guy was picked, uh, that's, you know, that, that's absurd. I, you know, Isaiah Thomas has been great, uh, as Mr. Irrelevant, but to get a, a legitimate hall of famer, a guy who, uh, helps you win four rings, um, at that draft position is literally, it's, it's literally unheard of. Like you, you do not get that type of production out of the 57th pick in the NBA draft ever. Um, you know, there's a reason like top second round picks always get traded with like top 55 protection, because people acknowledge that at that point you're not getting <coughs> any value. Yeah. Um, and Manu has not only been a Hall of Famer; I mean, he's one of my top five favorite players of all time. Um, he has been phenomenal. Um, you know, the, just a couple things for me that that push them down my list. We talked about the Pau Gasol signing, getting him for three years, 48 million. Um, I just talked about how it was a bad deal for Andre dollars It's a far worse deal for Powell in San Antonio because uh, it clogged up their cap going forward, and it really hinders their ability to attract a second superstar to play next to uh, Kawhi. Um, the other thing I hold against them is uh, they had Goran Dragic. They traded him uh, to Phoenix for a second-round pick on, on uh, draft day or they traded his first round pick so that that's that's not good um, that's really the those are really the only two missteps that they've made though, at least in my opinion everything else they've done um, you know the way they just cycle through guys bring them up develop them get production out of them they move on to another team for a bigger contract and don't live up to it um, you know the Spurs have been doing that for 20 years uh, you know getting Jonathan Simmons on a minimum stuff like that uh you know obviously the Kawhi leonard trade uh trading george hill for the pick that became leonard and and davis (laughs) burton's um you know they they, there's very little to complain about there
0: no no complaints on my end man it's a it's a generally pretty solid record both in terms of when they traded and when they drafted (coughs) and what they ended up doing with the guys they drafted going all the way back to Timmy. Um, a lot of success there. But with that said, we uh, spent a lot of time putting these things together, and we spent a lot of time talking about them. We, we are way long here. Not that that's much that's of a surprise, so but it is the truth. Um, I think we'll have to do and double barely, d-
1: And we didn't even get to bitch about, uh, you know, just, just one thing I want to throw in there really quickly is I had to before I started researching this. I did not know that you Neil know, O'Shea used to work in LA. I did not know that he traded the pick that became Kyrie Irving for yeah. Jermario Moon and Mo Williams. I just had to, to put that out there.
0: Yeah, um, it's funny how that hasn't followed him at all. He's just people just think of him and as the Blazers, but totally. Um, <laughs> so bad. It was a disastrous trade for sure. That's funny. Um I will tell you one thing that surprised me doing research was I actually felt decent about Gar Foreman. Yeah.
1: Um Yeah, that surprised me too. I was expecting to have him far lower than I did.
0: Because the team is is, is bad now, and the last couple years there have been some serious missteps, but like he he really crafted that team with D Rose and Thibodeau and Joakim Noah and Taj Butler. Like, that's all him. Those were all like would not have happened without Gar foreman at the helm so uh yeah that that one surprised me but um all right we gotta we gotta wrap it up man we gotta we'll, we'll, we'll do double duty next week catching folks up on on the league oh man maybe Houston will still have a win streak and we really go deep on that one uh, it sits at 15 right now but uh any last GM notes for you t-bone no that's about it, right,
1: man this was this was a marathon but you know, it's like I like to say, we just sprinted this marathon, and this was a blast.
0: That we did. We, uh, I, th- I believe the gentleman who owns the world record's name is Eliud Kipchoge. So we just Kipchoge'd the marathon. Um, and I, I, I couldn't be happier. But uh, congrats to, to Danny Ainge and Masai Ujiri, and apologies to Vlady Divak and Ryan McDonough, but that's the way the cookie crumbles. Um, yeah. As always... Feel free to subscribe to us on Anchor.fm and Apple Podcasts. Thanks to my buddies, the Bully Mammoths, for the the uh, soundtrack to the podcast. You can follow Tommy at Woodstein72, right? Yeah. 72. I always want to say 73. You can follow me at Sam Ruth here on Twitter. And uh, thanks again, as always, for listening. This has been The Association. Tommy, take us out. Oh. Woo! Woo!